Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here today. Today's going to be a great day. We've already seen seven people baptized in water today, which is super exciting. See people give their hearts to Jesus and then taking next steps and following him. It's always just great to see that. Yesterday we had a great day under Pastor David's leadership with that soul winning class that Pastor Josiah mentioned that there was a group of us that met at 10 o'clock. He shared some with us during the class and then paired up and went out into the community to tell people about Jesus. So we got to talk to a lot of people. We got to pray with a bunch of people, pray with pe- for people's family situation, pray for healing, different things. And then 13 people made decisions to follow Jesus yesterday, which is, which is awesome. That, so that's something we're going to do more of. And I want to strongly encourage you to be a part of that when we have these Saturday mornings and go out and, and just designate that time to go tell people about Jesus, which obviously we, we want to do that all the time, just kind of a lifestyle of telling people about Jesus, but having, having times like that when we really focus on, on soul winning, one, it's good to come to a class like that in case you've never done it before, but to have a mindset that for the next hour and a half, the next two hours, whatever, I'm just gonna go around and my, my purpose is I'm gonna find people and I'm gonna tell them about Jesus. That, that has benefits in the moment, obviously, people coming to know Jesus, but it also has a lot of benefit outside of the moment. I was thinking about it. It's like almost like going to the gym and exercising. And when you go to the gym and exercise, it's not just because you want to be able to run on a treadmill or to be able to lift dumbbells. You're, you're doing that because it's going to have benefit outside of the gym, just in everyday life, playing with your kids, doing stuff around, around the house. So when you take time just to, to really sharpen your skill, it's like developing a muscle that I'm just working on telling people about Jesus, getting outside of myself, overcoming fear, overcoming obstacles, that's my focus. Then it becomes much easier in everyday life, in the workplace, out for a cup of coffee, wherever you are, that that muscle has been trained. It's just something I do. I tell people about Jesus. So loved seeing that yesterday. I really appreciate everyone that took time yesterday to, to be a part of that, and we're just going to continue to do that more and, and more. Amen? That's, that's what our mission is. Our mission is connecting people with the newness of life found only in Jesus Christ. It's, it's really just the, it's the great commission. There really is newness of life in Jesus, that when someone gives their life to Jesus, you really do become a new creature, a new creation, right? Has anyone experienced that, that you gave your life to Jesus and you left the old kingdom you were a part of and you really did step into a new life? You're not the same man. You're not the same woman that you used to be. You don't do the same things. Your value, your priorities, all of that has changed. There is newness of life found only in Jesus Christ. And we want to see people that don't have that relationship be brought into relationship with Jesus. That's, that's our mission, and it doesn't change. But our vision, we think of it as a point on a horizon, a goal that we work towards, and that changes over time. And right now, our vision is for our church to become 1,000 strong. The uh, regular Sunday morning attendance, we'd have 1,000 people in here worshiping the Lord, 1,000 people being built up from the Word of God. And that, that's a number that we've hit 
multiple times before, but we're not, we're not talking about a one-time attendance of a thousand, building it to that where that's the baseline. And there's a multitude of reasons why we do that. One is simply so we could have a multitude. The Bible says that it's in the multitude of people is the king's honor. It, it pleases the king when there's a large group of people. That same verse says, but in a want of people is a disgrace. It, it pleases Jesus to have, to have this room jammed, people worshiping the Lord, People serve. It, it pleases the Lord. We want to see the kingdom of God grow. I'm not talking about people coming from other churches. We want to see these people that are coming to know the Lord being brought in and planted and planted in the house of God. So we, our, our goal right now is get this to be a thousand strong. I really believe that we could do incredible damage to the kingdom of hell. And we could do, make incredible impact in our community, advancing the kingdom of God. To have a thousand people, a large group of people. Serious about following Jesus, well-resourced, united in what we're trying to do, filled with the Spirit of God. Man, we, we could do so much. We will do so much. It's happening. Amen? So a 1,000, you see that on the wall in the lobby, in the bathrooms, different places. Underneath that is the number 100. That's for 100 connect groups, 100 families within the family. Because as we grow as a church, we don't want it to just be a mass of unknown people kind of lost in the numbers, we want every person to be known, loved, and cared for. And so to have those families within the family, that's the primary context that that's going to happen. Underneath that is the number 10. That's for a tithe. The tithe belongs to the Lord. And we want everyone in our church to grow to a point where they're, they're obeying God by bringing the tithe into the house of God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. So when we talk about giving, really what we're talking about is discipleship, that people would be surrendered to the Lord and nothing would be off limits. And usually when people start serving the Lord, the last thing for them to really surrender is their finances. And so when we talk about people tithing faithfully, it's discipleship. But as that happens, you know what else happens is that the church becomes well-resourced. We, we want this body of believers to be well-resourced. So when God deals with us to do something, we don't have to do a fundraiser. We don't have to say, you know, it sure would be nice if we could do this for the community, if we could have this kind of outreach, this kind of event. That when God speaks to our heart to do something, we were able to pull the trigger and get it done. Amen? And the, the root of it all, really, when you look at the way we illustrate that, that vision with the numbers, the, the root of it or the foundation is the one that we want to have a heart as a family and as individuals that we're going after the one. That as long as there's one person that still doesn't know Jesus in our community, that we still have, we still have work to do. That Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. That each one of us would have a heart for the one. There's, there's at least one person you know that doesn't know Jesus. Go after them. Every one of us bringing one more person to know the Lord. One more that we're not content with, hey, we've got a pretty good number. We had 13 people get saved yesterday. That, that's, that's pretty good. No, one more. One more. Always hungry to see more people come to know the Lord. Amen? And, we're, and we've been doing this series for the last month and a half or so called Almost Heaven, talking about the kingdom of God, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for the first part of the series, really God had us focused on us as a church and the condition of our heart, making sure that we're consecrated to the Lord, that we really love the Lord. Then last week, we kind of shifted gears a little bit and started talking about the role that we play and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. It's not just something that we want and we desire. It's something that we play a key role in seeing it happen. We went back to the book of Genesis, the creation account, that when God created man, he said, let us make man in our own image in our likeness, that the original plan for 
making people was that we would be like God. That's how we were designed. You were made to be like God. And then he says, let them have dominion. So having dominion is a key characteristic of being like God. God wants people, designed people, not to be victims of circumstances, not to be tossed around by the waves of whatever's going on, that his people wouldn't be subject to whoever's in office, whatever's going on with the school board, whatever the community is doing, that we just have to go with the flow, that we're to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. But we talked about how Adam and Eve sinned. They fell and they turned dominion over to the devil. But that when Jesus came, he came to restore that which was lost. So his death his burial, his resurrection. He defeated Satan and he made a way that we weren't just originally created to be like God and walk in dominion, but we can be recreated on the inside. When we talk about being new creatures, a a new person, that's that's what the Bible's talking about. And in Ephesians chapter four, it says that we're supposed to put on the new man, the new nature created to be like God in righteousness and holiness, that you were created originally to be like God, but through Jesus, the the new creation, the new man, you were recreated to be like God. And it's interesting that he would have to tell believers to put off the old nature and put on the new man. You know, just because you know Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking according to the spirit. You can, you can be made new on the inside, but still walk according, according to your old nature. That's why we've got to be intentional about walking according to that new man. You can walk like an old fallen sinner, even though the inside part of you has been made to be like God. True? So we've got to be intentional about saying, I'm going to walk according to the the new nature made to be like God. And that's why Jesus could say things like he said in Mark chapter 16, to tell his disciples to go and tell people the good news to cast out devils, raise the dead, lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's dominion. He was restoring dominion to those of us who've been made new on the inside. That's the assignment that we've been given. Amen. That we, we we are to go really to be like Jesus. That Jesus is the example. You were made to be like God. We're supposed to put on that new nature. Jesus was the example. You understand that? Yes, we're supposed to be like Jesus. You know, every once in a while, there'll be kind of a resurgence of this WWJD, right? What, what would Jesus do? Bracelets will become popular again, uh, T-shirts, all kinds of merchandise that goes along. What, hey, WWJD, bumper stickers, what would Jesus do? And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, with thinking that way or asking that question. But what I don't like is it sometimes puts people in this contemplative trying to figure out what would Jesus do. In this situation, what, what would Jesus do? We're trying to, trying to figure it out, trying to imagine what would Jesus do, and it causes people to act like we don't have four books of the Bible that give us detail of what Jesus did when he came as our example, when he took on flesh, and he lived out the way that he wants us, that he wants us to live. And so instead of imagining what would Jesus do, it would be better for us just to think what did Jesus do and follow his example. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to try to wrap our minds and, and discover what, what is it that Jesus would do. What did he do? He went around and he de- declared the good news of the kingdom. He laid hands on the sick and saw people recover. He set people free. He announced that you can come into a relationship with the Father through what he was providing. The Bible says, and you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. We know exactly what Jesus did, and he gave us an example to 
follow. That's what our lives should look like when we model them after Jesus. Amen. What did Jesus do? Well, that gives us an understanding of what we are supposed to do. You know, the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests, that we aren't supposed to just come into a church and be ministered to, and then everyone kind of escape under, under the radar and just disappear into the community. That when we leave here, it should be like releasing a herd of, heast, uh, a herd of priests out in, into the community to go and minister. I know herd isn't a very flattering word, but I, uh, Dozer suggested gaggle. I don't know if that's any better. A, a, a large group of priests releasing them in to go and minister to people, to carry the presence of God to people that don't know. It's not just we come and we're Christians for a little while and then disappear. That, that's how we see almost heaven established, God's kingdom come and his will be done, realizing that Jesus modeled the kind of life that I'm supposed to live. The things he did wasn't just for him to do. He was giving me a pattern what did Jesus do? That gives me an understanding of what Luke should do. That gives you an understanding of what you should be doing, how you should carry out your life. You're looking for people to minister to. And last week, if you're here, we talked about, we, we talked about going from milk to meat. And we, we want to see people that are mature in their faith. And I think I've shared this before, maybe not, and hopefully you understand the heart of it. I feel like our call as a church is not just to raise children in the faith, but God's called us to raise fathers, that he's called us to raise people that reproduce, people that are, are serious in their faith, not people that are on milk, people that are on meat. And we talked about what that really means according to, according to the word of God, because sometimes our understanding of milk and meat is milk is easy teachings from the word of God, and meat is when you dig into symbolism and Hebrew and Greek meanings and those kinds of things. But we saw in John chapter four that Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of the father. That milk is the word of God. Meat is doing the word of God. And in the very next verse, after he says, my, my meat is to do the will of the father. The next thing he says is man says four months and then the harvest. But I say unto you, look around. The fields are already ripe un, unto harvest. Now, now is the time that there is a mindset that when you start talking about being a doer of the word of God and not just a, a hearer, that there's a mindset that it's always later. It's always sometime in the future. When I get older, when I get more mature, when I learn more things, when I learn a secret, when I memorize more scripture, when more people respect, it's always later on. And Jesus says, if you want to be a doer, a key thing you're gonna have to understand is you've got to start doing it now. You'll put it off all of, all of your lives. We wanna be doers of the word of God. A kingdom of priests, kingdom of people that, that minister. And I, I really believe God's raising up people. That's what he wants to see happen. And it is happening. It was happening yesterday in Walmart parking lot and all over where people were sent out praying for the sick, bringing people into the kingdom of God. And it's going to continue. I, I hope that you'll join the people that said, I want to be a part of it because we're going with or without you. I, I hope everyone's on board that I'm going to take this seriously. I'm a minister of the gospel. And now is the time for me to use the gifts, not somewhere in the future. God is moving in people's lives now. Amen. So we're actually going to wrap this series up today. Next week will be special with uh, Center Branch School of Ministry, and then we're going to jump back in to a series that we were doing last summer. We went through the first half of the book of Acts. We're going to jump back in where we left off in the book of Acts and take that through the summer. We'll wrap this series up today. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. I thank you for each person here this morning. 
Holy Spirit, we do want you to come and speak to us. Father, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, who at that point in time was Abram, and he tells him to leave his father's house, go to a place that I'm going to show you, and he gives him a promise. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. Uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You're familiar with this story. He calls him and says, I'm going to bless you. So immediately Abraham responds and he begins to go. I'll, I'll read you the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse one. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. God gave him a promise. Go ahead, go ahead and leave everything. Go to where I'm going to send you and I'm going to bless you. By the beginning of the next chapter, we can see God's blessing on his life, that God was blessing him in very, very practical, real ways. His livestock was blessed. He had lots of gold. He had lots of silver. Some of you are familiar with how this story kind of goes, but we'll jump to Genesis chapter 15, if you have your Bible. Genesis chapter 15. Starting in verse one, it says, sometime later, now before I read this, th this, is, this is something that evangelist Tim Hall shared when he was here. And it, it really ministered to me. It stuck with me. And I, I want it to continue to stick with me. And I, I want it to stick with you and with us as a church family. The perspective that we see in these verses, that it, it would really become our way of thinking in our perspective, it says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. He, he, God appears to Abraham again and says, hey, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to reward you. And he's already experienced the blessing of God in some significant ways. I read to you from, from previous chapters uh, of how God was blessing him. But Abraham responds to him and says, God, what good is your blessing if I don't have a son for that blessing to be passed on to? What good is your blessing if it stops if it stops with me. And he had this perspective on the blessing of God that if it just comes to me and no further, then, then what's the point? What good is your blessing? That's what he said to God. What good is your blessing if I don't have offspring, if I'm not reproducing so that blessing can go through me and into someone else's lives? I want us to think that way about the blessing of God. How many know that we are blessed? God has blessed us. We have all kinds of stories in this room of the way that, that God has blessed families, the way that God has blessed us as individuals. People could talk about the way their marriage has been blessed, how God has kept them, how God has preserved them, how God has led and guided us, how he's provided for us, how God has healed our bodies, how he's ministered to our children, all kinds of ways, how he saved us in the first place. We are so blessed. 
Our church is blessed. God has brought this church through all kinds of crazy situations. He's continued to be good to this body of believers. He's allowed us to be fruitful. He's allowed us to see increase in growth. It seems like every year we just continue to talk about how we've grown, how we've advanced, how things continue to get better. He's blessed us with a great facility. He's blessed us with a great location. He has blessed us with the most incredible people on the face of the planet. I, I really mean that. We've got the most gifted, wonderful people that make up this, this church body, but we've got to have a perspective that it's not just enough to be blessed, that we've got to have a desire to see a blessing continue on through us. God, if your blessing is just on me, what, what is the point? Unless I'm reproducing, unless I have offspring, unless I'm multiplying, what, what good is your blessing? That we're thankful for the blessing of God, but that we've got a hunger. God, unless I'm bearing children, unless I'm seeing more people born into the kingdom, I, I don't want to be a dead end of the blessing of God. I don't want to be some stagnant puddle in the kingdom of God that the blessing flows into and it stops with me. That the, the moment we become, become selfish, then, then the blessing's no longer of any good. That if it's just about us, if it's just about a group of people that huddle up in this building once a week and sing a few songs and flip through this book, what, what, what is the point? That there would be a desire for souls, a hunger and a thirst. God, I want to reproduce. I want, I want to be bearing fruit in your kingdom. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you that I know your presence. I thank you that I know your mercy. I thank you that I know your grace. I don't want that to stop with me. What good is the blessing of God unless I'm passing it on to another generation of believers, unless I'm seeing more people come into the kingdom of God, that we'd have that desire. And this isn't just an Abraham thing. Let, let me read to you from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul thought this same way. In, in verse 24 of Acts 20, it says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul said, my life is worth nothing. My life doesn't matter at all. It's all been a waste unless, unless I use my life to do what God has called me to do. That's the only thing he said that would give his life any value or any worth. What was, it, what was the assignment? To tell other people the good news. To tell people about the wonderful grace of God. That it, the Father sent Jesus' Son to rescue us. You know that's not unique? That's not unique to the Apostle Paul? That that's the assignment given to all of us that know Jesus? That what he's saying there is a reality for each one of us. That unless we do what God has called us to do, the assignment of telling others the good news, our life is worth nothing. Our life doesn't amount to anything. Your life, your entire existence can be completely squandered. You live a worthless life if we aren't busy telling other people the good news, not just enjoying God's blessing. Man, God's been so good to me. Well, what are you doing to pass that blessing along to other people? Because there's coming a point in time when the fruit of our life, the impact of our life will be revealed. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11, it says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. 
But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping a wall of flames. That should be a sobering passage of scripture. There's coming a point in time on judgment day, the work of our life, what we built with our life, what you've built with your talents, with your opportunity, with the time, with the resources God has given you. Was it all just about making yourself comfortable or was it leveraged for the kingdom of God? That there's gonna come a point in time where the work of your life will pass through a fire and some stuff will be burnt up, but it says those that their work passes through the fire, there will be reward, that it'll be wonderful. You know, this, this goes against the mindset that a lot of church people have, that, hey, if I can just get to heaven, I just wanna get to heaven. If I, I don't mind, if I just have a little shack on the edge of glory, as long as I make it through the pearly gates, I'll be happy. Well, according to this passage, that's not the case. There's a reward of getting to heaven. That's not where the reward stops. This is when we get there on judgment day, there will be people who receive a reward because they use this life for things that really matter, things that were eternal, things that were of spiritual nature, things, things that weren't just temporary here and now, but leveraged for eternity. They'll pass through the fire and that person will receive a reward. But there will be other people that the work of their life what they accumulated, how they spent their time, the, what they built will pass through the fire and everything will be devoured by that fire. And it says that that person will suffer great loss, that they'll be saved, but like someone barely escaped by the skin of their teeth, they'll, they'll make it in to eternity. That there will be people on judgment day that suffer great loss, that realize, my God, my, my life was worth nothing. I didn't accomplish anything. All, all the, all the opportunities, I squandered my life. I wasted my, my life didn't mean anything. People will suffer a great loss when they, they, that realization settles in on them. You wasted your life. Is there anyone that wants to be used by God? I mean, like genuinely in your heart, when you think about that, when we read passages of scripture like this, when I read Acts chapter 20 and, and Paul says, my life's worth nothing unless I do what God's called me to do, that something on the inside of you starts to stir. When you think about the, the, your life passing through the fire and the possibility that your life was worth nothing except for experiencing a few nice things here in this temporary period of time, something that rises up on the inside of you, God, I wanna be used by you. I want my life to matter. I want something to pass through that fire that I have something to offer the king, that I'm not standing there, just have passed through the fire like someone just through the flames, smelling like smoke, my pockets pulled inside out, and I have nothing to lay before the king. God, I want you to use me. Does anyone else feel that way? Because God's wanting to stir people up that have that heart. God, use me. God, use me. Use my life. Let it matter. Let it be for your kingdom. Let it be for eternal purposes. God, open the eyes of my heart that I don't tangled up in this nonsense, tangled up in materialism, temporary garbage. God, I want my life to matter. If that's you, and I believe that it is some of you this morning, I don't want to play games. I don't want to just go through the motions I believe God has something for you this morning. You know, today is, is Pentecost Sunday, which means it's been seven weeks since Easter. Pentecost is one of the Jewish 
festivals, one of the main ones where they would take pilgrimages to Jerusalem. It's called Pentecost because it's 50, it means 50, seven weeks, 50 days after, after Passover. They'd come and they'd, they'd celebrate Pentecost. It's also called the Festival of Weeks because it's the, the seven weeks after, after Passover. And the Bible says it was on the day of Pentecost that God poured out his spirit. When you read Acts chapter 2, it says on the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. The believers were gathered together. They were all of, of one accord. They were in unity of spirit. There came a sound of a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire descended and rested on each of them. They began to speak in other tongues. God, God was pouring out his spirit, which is something he, he said that he would do. We'll read it in Acts chapter one here in just a moment. He said for them to wait for the promise of the Father, that there was a second work of the Holy Spirit that was available to the believers. The disciples had experienced the first work in John chapter 20 when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in a person's life in salvation, but there's a second work called baptism of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit that you see all through the book of Acts. And we, we won't take time to do that today, but if you read through the book of Acts, that's what you'll see. There'll be believers, people that have come to saving knowledge of Jesus, but then they'll have an opportunity for something beyond that, a second work of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit. If, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 4. It says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem, until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a, a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone is the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit for you to receive the Holy Spirit to come upon you. This was something that they knew was coming. It was the promise of the Father. They knew because times like this when Jesus said it's going to happen. You also have passages like John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, where Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to send you a helper. It's, it's better for you that I go away so you can receive the Holy Spirit. But they also had instances going back into the Old Testament that there was coming a time where God was going to pour out his spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes from the book of Joel. Because back in the, in the book of Joel, God was saying, I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit. In the last days, says the Lord. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. I'll pour out my spirit on your manservants, on your maidservants, on all flesh. Because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's spirit would come upon certain people, special people, prophets, priests, and kings. But in this new covenant, God was going to make a way for anyone who wanted the Holy Spirit to come and to rest on, on their lives. So we can sing songs like we just did. Holy Spirit, come, come and rest on me. God wants people to have his spirit on them and in them and flowing, flowing through their lives. In the Old Testament, they would anoint those people. Someone would be anointed 
as a king, anointed as a priest, and they, they would put oil on that person, and there was a connection between that anointing oil, someone being anointed, and the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. In the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So I want to read a few passages, something we can learn from seeing this pattern in the Old Testament of people being anointed and what it really means. First one's 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll just read a couple of these to you. 1 Samuel 16, this is when, when Samuel the prophet, God told him to go to Jesse's house and he was going to show him somebody to anoint as king. So he has all of Jesse's sons line up in front of him and God keeps saying, nope, 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 nope. And finally he says, is, is there like anyone else? Are you sure these are all your sons? Well, there's David, he's out in the field. And so he sends for him. That's where we'll pick it up. Verse 12, it says, so he sent and brought him in, talking about David. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He anoints him. Why? Not, not just so he could be anointed. He anointed him to be king. There was a purpose behind the anointing. There was a role. There was a, a way of serving that was directly correlated to the fact that he was, he was anointed. In previous chapters, the prophet Samuel did the same thing to Saul. He anointed him to be king. He anointed him, the spirit of God came upon him, and it was for a specific reason he anointed him, not just to be anointed, to be king. Let me read you from Exodus chapter 40. Just to give another example of, of the point we're trying to make. Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 9. It says, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with the sacred garments and anoint him consecrating him to serve me as a priest. Then present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father. Why? So they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever from generation to generation. So in this passage, they're anointing all kinds of things. They're anointing utensils. They're anointing the altar. They're anointing the wash basin. They're anointing the stand. They're anointing Aaron. They're anointing his sons. Why? Because every one of those things, even the utensils, why, why was that wash basin different than other wash basins? There's lots of wash basins. Why, why are those utensils different than other utensils? That stand different than other stands. They were anointed, not just to be anointed, they were anointed because they had a specific use, a specific role, a way of serving in the house of God. Aaron and his sons were anointed, not just to be anointed, they were anointed to serve as priests. We could give you, give you more examples. Hopefully, hopefully you can see the, the, the pattern that people are anointed, not just be, to be anointed. When we talk about the Spirit of God coming on people, there is a correlating role in service that goes along with an anointing. Even Jesus in Luke chapter 4, after he came out of the wilderness and quoted from the book of Isaiah and said, the Spirit of the sovereign God is upon me, he has anointed me. 
He, he didn't stop there. He began to say the ways that he was going to serve that anointing, that he was going to preach good news to the poor, that he was going to declare, proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, that the oppressed could go free, that he started talking about the way that anointing was going to enable him to serve other people. Sometimes in the modern church, when we talk about being anointed, he's anointed, she's anointed, I want to be more, more anointed. We miss the point of anointing. Anointing isn't so that you can out-anoint or be more anointed than someone else. Anointing is for service. Anointing is because you have a role, a way to serve in the body of Christ. And specifically here, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Power will come upon you when you receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's a specific role of service related to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can be witnesses telling the people about Jesus everywhere that we go. There's a correlating service to be anointed, to be filled with the Spirit of God isn't just so that we can speak in tongues. It's not so that we can classify ourselves as a group of Pentecostals when we meet together. It's so that we can be witnesses telling other people about Jesus. Sometimes when we talk about anointing in, in the, the people's minds, it's, it's like that oil is the equivalent of like, spiritual massage oil. It just makes us feel good. It's just nice to be anointed. I just like to, to feel anointed. I just want to be known as anointed. We miss it so that I can serve and be of use in the kingdom of God. I have a role to play. And if I'm not going to play that role, then there's really no use in God giving me his Holy Spirit. Because the reason he does it is so that I can be a witness. In John chapter 14, when Jesus talked about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit, telling his disciples, he referred to the Holy Spirit with his Greek word, it can be translated as comforter or as helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And a lot of times we, we like the idea of him being our helper. How many know we got the Holy Spirit? He's, he's my helper. I just know the Holy Spirit is a helper. If I said, how many know the Holy Spirit is your helper? A lot of you would raise your hands. But helping you do what? What is, what is he helping you do? A lot of people don't, ah, I don't know, he's just, my, he's just my, it's nice to know that I have a helper. That there's supposed to be things that we are putting our hand to, things that we're attempting that go beyond our own ability. You don't need help living a, a, a life of zero impact where you just go through the motions, go to work, come home, watch TV, and go to sleep. People do that all over the world with no presence of God. They don't even know the Lord and they're, they're living a same life as many Christians. But you do need help to be a witness. You do need help to produce fruit in your lives. You do need help beyond what you can do on your own to lay hands on the sick and see them recover or take authority over an evil spirit that's tormenting a person, to preach the gospel and have something that, that translates to that person's heart and causes them, pricks their heart like when Peter pre preached on the day of Pentecost and draws them into the kingdom of God. That's where we do need help. We, we got to live a life, not just of, of talking, not just of going through motions, but to know I carry a presence on the inside that enables me to do what I otherwise could could not do. Then when we talk about receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving an anointing, it means that there is a corresponding job to be done. You know, we don't use the word anoint a whole lot outside of church world, so sometimes making the connection can be difficult. But if we think of the word appointed, it's really synonymous with the word anointed. In fact, I copied this right out of a, a lexicon. It says, anoint, to assign a person to a task with the implication of supernatural sanctions, blessings, and endowment. To anoint, to assign, to appoint. Assignment, appointment. So when we think of being anointed, it can be helpful to think of being appointed. On, on Monday evening, I went to the city council meeting. 
when I got home, my wife said, hey, how'd the meeting go? If I would have said, went really good. They, they appointed me. What, what do you think her next question would have been? Appointed to what? And that, that would be a valid question, right? If she, hey, I've been, I've been appointed. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair for me to be, why, why do you always have to just, can't you just be excited that I got appointed? You're, you're always down on me. Can't you just be happy for me once? No, it's a fair question. Appointed to what? You, you don't just, you're not just appointed. I'd like to appoint you. You know, if after service I came to you and said, hey, you know what? I noticed you were really going after the Lord. I'd like to appoint you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep, keep going. But sometimes that, that's the way we think of anointing. But it's, it's appointed. You get appointed to do something, to play some role, to be on a committee, to take a position, to, to serve in this, this capacity. And it's synonymous with the way the Bible uses the word anointing, that you have received an anointing from the Holy One. So the Bible says in 1 John 2.20, that you have received an anointing. That means you've been appointed. You've received an assignment. And part of that assignment, a key piece, according to Acts chapter 1, is to be a witness, to tell people about Jesus. Let me read you Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 8 again. Anybody with me? Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that there is a corresponding power that comes with the Holy Spirit. That the mission of Pentecost isn't just to release us to declare a bunch of things. It's not just for us to talk about Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Deliverer, Jesus as Healer. But there's a power that we're actually able to manifest the reality of those things in people's lives. That we can see people saved. We can see people delivered. We can see people healed. That the kingdom of God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. The New Living says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of fancy talk. It's not us just talking about these things, but there's a power that goes with it that we're actually able to see it manifest in people's lives. There is a correspondence. You will receive power. How many of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus wasn't, he wasn't kidding around. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have received power. You have this power that he's talking about residing on the inside of you. Where we sometimes miss it or we don't see a connection is because this power that he's talking about, it's potential power. It's potential, potential power. I don't know if you like to bow hunt at all, if there's any bow hunters. I don't want to ask for hands because I did first service and I was discouraged and my poor, poor choice of illustration. For my own sake, I'm gonna imagine that you're all avid, passionate bow hunters. But I, I love to bow hunt. I, I just really enjoy it. I, I love it. I do. I, I like just shooting my bow. It's fun just to shoot a target. It's, just, it's fun to shoot a bow. But a bow is a good example of potential power. In fact, it's, it's a, a word in physics. If you look up what is potential power, that'll probably be one of the one of the examples that it gives you, a bow and arrow, that when you have a bow and you draw that string back, you've created potential, potential power. Now, because I know you're all bow hunters, you can relate to being up in a tree 
and having a deer, you hear the, the steps and the leaves and your heart starts pounding, right? You've been there. Just pretend with me, help me out here. Still kind of discouraged from first service. So just, you, you know what it's like. Heart starts pounding and it comes, the, you see the deer and you're like, okay, this is a shooter. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm, I'm going for it. You pick your moment to draw, right? And when, when you draw, it's potential power. Just because it's potential power doesn't mean deer just start dropping dead all over the place. Because once you, once you draw, you've got potential power. Now what are you, you're, you're, you're waiting for the moment where he steps out from behind that tree, where he turns his head, where that other deer gets out of the way. You've got to pick a moment to, to release that power, right? Up, it, it's potential power until you release it. And that's when it makes impact and change, changes someone's life. This is where the analogy does break down, where, where the, the deer does. But we want to release his potential power in a way that doesn't result in a blood trail and, you know, removing entrails from, from someone. But you, you get the point, right? It's potential power. It's potential power that needs to be released because it can lie dormant on the inside of people. And all too often, it does lie dormant on the inside of people. That people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, which is wonderful, but then they don't see a whole lot of impact. Man, I don't, I don't see people getting saved, getting healed. I don't see people getting set free. I must not have gotten the power that Jesus was talking about. No, it's potential power and too often it's dormant on the inside of you. In the Greek, the word is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. You know, a, a piece of dynamite, a stick of dynamite is an example of potential power. If, if I told you that the rafters of this room were, were strapped with dynamite, over the weekend, I, I, just, I had a bunch of dynamite, I didn't know what to do with it, so I just started hiding it all over the church. Right? We, unless I told you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. We'd go through the service. Maybe there's been dynamite here the whole time. You don't know. <laughs> you gotta be careful before this becomes like a terroristic threat. Because j just because there's dynamite doesn't mean there's constant explosions happening because it, it's potential. It's potential power. You, you've got to do something to ignite it. You've got to do something to release the power that's been there all, all along. That dynamite can go for years and years and years and years and do absolutely nothing because it's potential power. And people allow the power that Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. People let it lie dormant on the inside. There, there's a picture of this in the book of Mark, a, a picture of what some people's lives look like even though they've received the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the story of when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of, of the lake. So the disciples, they all jump into the boat. They head out across the lake. Jesus finds a, a cushion, a pillow, and he goes to sleep in the boat. And while Jesus is sleeping, a storm comes. Wind starts blowing. The waves get really big. Water's coming over the side of the boat. It gets so bad that the disciples wake Jesus up, screaming, don't you care that we perish? Don't you care that we're all, we're all going to drown? Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and waves. Everything gets, gets, gets calm. You know the story. But up until that point in time, there could have been a dozen boats, 20 boats out there on sea, on the sea getting tossed around, taken on water. Who knows? Maybe there were other boats that did sink that day. Up until that point, there would have been no distinction between the boat Jesus was in and all of the other boats. The fact that that boat carried a presence, the fact that that boat carried power to do something about the situation, it didn't make any difference until people activated 
until people went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've got a problem here. We've got a problem that we need you to deal with. Why? Because up until that point, they were trying to deal with it with their own abilities. They were trying to use their own experience. They were trying to use their own know-how and, and navigate. We can figure this out. They had to get to a point where they say, we need to activate this presence that we've been carrying all along. And that's the way some believers are, that they go through life relying on their own ability, their own experience, and never activating, living their life. They, they could look just like other people that don't even know Jesus, living at the same level because they don't activate the presence and the power that they've been carrying all along. And one of the ways that you activate is, is to come into contact contact with situations that you know I don't have the ability to handle this to go to, we've got a problem here Jesus that we need your power your spirit to deal with this person needs to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus this person needs a touch in their body this person needs set free that activates the power that's been residing in you all all along that we've got to develop an aggression to go after these situations I, I believe that's going to happen in our church starting today a fresh aggression to go after situations that need the power of God. The things that used to intimidate us now become intimidated by us. The things that used to cause us stress and anxiety, now they're stressed and they're worried about us because we're looking for situations that the power on the inside of us can solve, can destroy. The things that we're looking to take us out, take people out that we care about, now we're looking to take them out. We're not just trying to mind our own business and live according to our own ability, live according to our own skill, that we're activating the power that we've been carrying all along. You know, it, it, take, it takes an aggression to go after those things. If we're going to make where we live almost heaven, it's going to take people that are filled with the Spirit, people that stay filled with the Spirit of God, people that use that, understand their role. I've been filled with the Spirit, not just so I can say I'm filled with the Spirit, so that I can play the role that I've been called to play. I've been appointed to a position to go and to tell people the good news, to bring deliverance and freedom and healing, to minister to people. I'm, I'm, I've been anointed into a priesthood. Every one of us, we've been anointed into that priesthood. People that stay on fire for the Lord. You know, there, there's keeping yourself filled with the Holy Spirit is how you keep yourself on fire for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story of 10 virgins that five of them ran out of oil in their lamp and five of them had oil in their lamp. What, what, why did they need oil? What was the point of oil? Which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. We used to sing a song, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp. The, the point of having oil, you can't have fire. You, a fire needs fuel. Fire is people being passionate and zealous, fervent in spirit. You, you know, a fire, a fire changes an atmosphere. A fire changes a room. It changes an environment. If this, were, if this was a, a cold, dark room and you were sitting here in the dark and then I started to build a bonfire on the platform, would you notice? Of course you would. It would completely change the environment. When there's fire, it changes an atmosphere. God wants us to carry that. Carry, carry an atmosphere that changes rooms, changes situations when we go in. If it was dark and cold in here, and all of a sudden I started a bonfire. Anyone else love bonfires? I don't know if it's a man thing. Apparently not, because I only saw girls raise their hands. There goes that theory. I thought I had something about me that was masculine. Apparently not. <laughs> back to the drawing board. <laughs> and I just, I love fires in a fireplace, sitting around a fire, building a fire out in the backyard. I love fires. 
But if I were to build a bonfire on the platform, it, it would start to change the way that it smelled in here, right? It would start to bring illumination. People that were cold would start to get warm. Fire changes the environment. Just keep fervent in spirit, passionate, zealous. We've got to keep ourselves full, full of oil. And one of the ways we keep ourselves full is what we were just talking about, using what God has given us. When people end up dry, you, you know, the parable of the talents that Jesus tells, people stewarding what was given to them can be applied to all kinds of things, natural talents, finances. We, we can take that wisdom and apply it to, to lots of different things. But maybe the most direct application is what we're talking about right now because it's the story of a master going away for a period of time and then he's going to soon return when they least expect it. But before he leaves, he gives them something valuable. And the ones that didn't use what they'd been given, what happened to him? What happened to that servant? They just took it and hid it. He lost what he did have. But those that, that used what they were given, they were given more. So if we apply this the way that maybe the most direct application to the gift of the Holy Spirit, an anointing, an empowerment to be a witness, that people that don't use it end up losing it. And if you want to grow in your anointing, if you want to grow in the power, the presence that you carry, what, what can you do to begin to use? Be faithful with, if you, have a, if you feel like you have a little, start to use that. Faithful with little, faithful with much. Jesus is looking for people that are faithful with what he's given them. Go out and begin to use to tell people about Jesus. Start praying for the sick. Start looking for opportunities to see people set free. People have things going on in their family. Someone's having de depression in their, in their household. Whatever it is, look for opportunities and go, go after it. That we would be ministers, ministers of the gospel. Acts chapter 10, 38 again. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. If Jesus is our example, and he is, if we're gonna follow his example, we need to let God anoint us with the Holy Spirit and with power. But that's not the end of it. He anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went about doing good, ministering to people, helping people, setting people free, healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. That means any kind of oppression addiction, sickness, disease, whatever it is. So those of you that your heart was stirred a few moments ago when we're talking about being used, our, our life passing through the fire, God, I want you to use me. Those are the kind of people that God wants to fill to overflow with the Holy Spirit. Even what Jesus talked about in John chapter seven, that if we'd be thirsty for him, we could come and drink. The Holy Spirit would be rivers of living water flowing out of our belly. That salvation is a well of water for ourselves, for our own enjoyment. But to get beyond ourselves, a river of living water, that's for other people's benefit. To have that heart, how can I minister to other people. So I want to do a couple of things this morning. I want every person that desires to leave here filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit this morning and knowing I'm, I'm not just anointed. Anointed means appointed. I've got a job to do. When I leave here, in my household, at the restaurant, whatever it is, I'm looking for opportunities to make use of this assignment, this empowerment that I've been given. This week in work looks different than last week at work because I'm not just there as a clerk. I'm not just there as a salesman. That job just got me in the door because I'm a priest. I'm a minister of the gospel. That, that's why I'm there. The, the other part is secondary. That's just my, my ticket in here to be a missionary in this place. That, 
teaching math, teaching gym, whatever it is. That's not really why you're there. You're, you're there because you're appointed, you're anointed. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.